Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, produced by Foundersuite.com. Today I have Bryant Lee of Cognition IP coming to us from San Francisco. How's your day going? Doing well. How about you? Very good. We're going through this heat wave, which I'm sure you're experiencing as well. I'm not quite used to it, but uh, you know, it's it's kind of a nice change of pace a little bit. Yeah, that reminds me of my hometown of Washington D.C. So it's not quite as hot as there. You at least we don't have the humidity, right? Isn't isn't D.C. totally super humid? Yeah, it'd be much much more humid than here. Yeah, so I think we're lucky. <laughs> cool. Let's get right to it. So Cognition IP, cool name. What do you guys do? So we're a modern IP law firm for startups, and we use technology to make the process of getting patents better and faster. Okay. Uh, more detail. So what does, that, what does that mean? I'm a startup. I want to file a patent on my widget I just invented. What, what do you guys do differently that I don't get from yeah. Wilson or whoever? So we're an IP boutique, and we're targeted specifically at startups. And so we work with startups on their IP needs, including patents, trademarks, copyrights, uh, licensing. So how we're different is that we actually focus, focus exclusively on startups and we have a lot of expertise and technical um, background for our lawyers. Um, and we also are using technology that we're building to make the process more streamlined. So um, like where other firms would just throw more people at it uh, because of their billable hour requirements and how they're billing based on how much time they spend, they don't have those incentives to make the process faster or more efficient. And so they're doing things the old way. Like all the firms are just doing the same thing, uh, trying to spend as many hours as possible on the work. So for us, we're, we build on a flat fee basis and then we develop our technologies to reduce the amount of um, wasted time that lawyers spend so that it can be more efficient. So we have the incentives aligned with our clients to be faster and better. Uh, so in particular, a lot of technologies that we're working on are related to the operations of the firm. So we're improving the um, operational aspects related to like the case management, collecting documents for signature, doing billing and all of that. Uh, to make all of that faster and reduce the number of mistakes, increase consistency. And we're also working on AI to improve a lot of technologies as well. So we're not, um, we're not replacing lawyers with AI, but we're using AI to make the lawyers jobs easier and let them do their job focusing on the legal aspects where the AI can take over some of the, uh, like the routine things and uncover new insights that, that humans wouldn't be able to see. So right now we're focused very heavily on patent searching uh, so that we can find patents that uh, would be harder to find for humans. Okay, makes sense. I, I've we've had I think two accounting services firms on this show that is kind of a similar concept or similar model of, you know, they have bookkeepers or accountants on staff, but they're using AI and technology to kind of speed up and make the process more efficient. So you have in-house lawyers, or is this a service? used by attorneys to do a better job with their clients? So we, we have our own lawyers who do the work. And so we, the product we sell is the legal services to startups. So our lawyers come from primarily from big law. So firms like uh, Covington and Burling or Kenobi Martins, Morgan Lewis, Foley Lardner, but they, they, the lawyers want to work with better technology and work with startups. Okay. That makes sense for the attorneys. How many attorneys do you guys have on staff? 
we currently have 10 lawyers working with us. Have you had to change their compensation structure too? Because they're, you know, kind of like you're saying, the old way is how many billable hours do you, do you bank, right? That's sort of what determines whether you make partner, right? Um, yeah. So, so we don't work on a billable hours uh, model. So we don't require people to meet certain billable requirements. Um, it's more about the quality of the work and making sure they get work done um, quickly uh, and effectively, efficiently for our clients and not like waste hours needlessly on things. So it's it's slightly different metrics. It's not like how many hours you spend, but the quality of the work and how how good the turnaround and response time to the startups is. What is your, is your uh, pricing transparent? In other words, if I want to file a patent on uh, some device I've just created, do I have a... Can you quote me a price on that or does it depend on various factors? We do have uh, standard pricing that applies across the board for most things, but um, we do uh, have more custom pricing for different projects that would be different complexities than the standard things because law can have different, there can be different types of projects. Um, so not everything's gonna fit into the same mold, but like we do have a pricing schedule that we work off of. But give me a range, like, uh, you know, we're, what's sort of the baseline basic patent run run me so uh for our patent application you know for a standard application it'll be seven thousand for a software or mechanical device uh and eight thousand for a life sciences uh life sciences invention that's going to be less than your big law firm so uh like a lot of big firms are charging like fifteen thousand or twenty thousand particularly for life sciences inventions uh, mm -hmm. yeah okay that was my next question wanted mm -hmm. to see how that contrasts Cool. Interesting. And are you an attorney or where does this idea come from? So, yes, yeah, so I'm a patent lawyer. I, uh, I studied computer science as an undergrad and then I was actually a PhD candidate in computer science at Carnegie Mellon. But then I went to Harvard Law School. I graduated uh, in 2012 and then I worked at a large firm called Covington Burling in D.C. where I was doing patent, uh, patent law for a lot of large companies, Texas Instruments, uh, Hewlett Packard, um, AstraZeneca, Purdue, um, and so the idea the idea came from you know just being in the legal field. It's clear that there are a lot of things that could be done a lot more efficiently, and they're just for firms. There's just no reason to do that because they make more money by putting more people on it. Yeah. And so I think a lot of legal tech companies that try to make things more efficient, it's uh, it can be difficult to get adoption from firms just because uh, there's no reason for them to buy if, if they reduce the number of hours. It's just less money for them. Yeah. So, you know, the idea really came out of um, seeing a lot of inefficiencies as a computer science person, as well as a legal person at my firm and other firms, not, not just my firm, but all firms. And, um, uh, and then just feeling like, you know, there's, there's got to be a better way to do it. And the way to do it, I felt, was to build a firm and instead of trying to sell to, to other firms, but instead sell to the ultimate beneficiary of the technology, which is the, the person buying the service. The, the client and you know particularly startups mm -hmm. okay is you know not to get into like a competitor comparison but sort of like what atrium is doing do, do you guys consider yourself in the same sort of sandbox as what atrium is doing i haven't studied their model very closely so i don't actually really know what they're doing but is it the same general gist or no uh yeah i would say we were both doing modern uh like technology enabled uh, law firms and they're doing corporate work, but we're doing IP. Gotcha. Okay. And the ideas came together in a similar time frame. So I think they raised their first round 
in uh, I think around like May of 2017. And then we started our company in October 2017. Um, but it was, you know, it's an idea I, I was thinking about, and then, uh, and then I happened to, I heard about them after I had thought of this idea of just like kind of looking around to see what other people had done. And, uh, and I think we're the only, you know, well, there, there are other people trying the idea as well, but you know, um, it's still a pretty new idea and there aren't that many like well-known players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay, cool. Well, lower priced legal services, I think is something that no one would argue is not needed. <laughs> is that too many negative? Um, lower priced legal services is something everyone I think would agree is very much needed, right? Uh, and you're not sacrificing, not sacrificing any quality, just like wasted time. Like Laura's having wasted time that you're, you're saving up. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid to call my, we have great attorneys at um, but I'm afraid to call them just because I, you know, I dread that clock <laughs> meter, meter running, right? It's, uh, it's daunting as a startup, even if I have some IP things or I want to deal with, do you think you'll stay on patents or, you know, is the vision, uh, and we'll kind of get to vision and then fundraising, but is the vision obviously to have a full service law firm o- over time or is, pa- is patents just a wedge in the door? Mm-hmm. So IP is the starting point and we're definitely looking to revolutionize areas, other areas of law as well. So all areas of law, I think, can be benefited from technology in similar ways. And so there's definitely an opportunity there to, to expand beyond IP. Okay. That's a very diplomatic way of saying that. Um, all right, let's talk about raising. So how much have you guys raised so far and how many rounds? So we went through YC and then we raised the seed round after that, uh, $2.8 million. Uh, and then uh, that, that's our most most recent round of funding. What batch of YC were you guys in? It was winter of 2018. And what was what was that like? What was the uh, biggest takeaway that you learned there? You know, what are some of the nuggets you you gleaned from going through YC? Yeah, I think YC was a great learning experience. You know, before YC, I had actually done their online course, so Startup mm-hmm. School, which is the new new online course that they actually let anybody do. There's okay. no process. But I thought that was a really great learning experience. Um, that actually, they have like lectures and like from like Sam Altman and everybody else that tells you how to run a company. And I think for me, like I had never run this type of company, a startup fast growth company with venture back. You know, it's it's very different. Like not having any other any other like venture like entrepreneurs in in my immediate family or so I didn't like. There's no background for that. Mm-hmm. And so I think having that understanding of how that ecosystem works was really valuable and there's really no substitute for having that mentorship. Uh, it was also like a lot of fun to meet other companies. So the batch, our batch was like 150 companies. Wow. And it was great to just see the diversity of other people doing that and their ideas and um, like see a lot of the new things that are gonna be coming out um, before they get to market. Yeah, were there other legal innovation startups in your batch? I haven't heard of too many that I know of coming through YC, although I haven't studied every cohort. Yeah, there were other ones as well. I uh, I don't remember. I don't know which ones. I think they've all announced that they've been part of YC, but I don't know. You know, I, I usually don't comment on who else was in our batch. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good. Um, so talk about raising this round. What was, uh, who led it? And was it Angel, VC, both? And uh, how'd you put it all together? So we had, uh, yeah, it was a, we had several larger firms involved. So Coastal Ventures was in and Mayfield Fund and 
uh, Basis F Ventures was also in, and then uh, some angels and some of the smaller funds. Uh, total, uh, you know, about a, a, like 15 investors. Yeah, I mean, so we, you know, going through YC, they set up the process very well for you. So it's sort of teed up and you don't have to go through this learning process. It was very fast to go through and close. So they, they, you know, our, our mentors were great. So we were working with um, Adora Chung, who had done Homejoy, and then uh, Jared Friedman, who had done Script. So they, they helped us choose a valuation cap. So it was all on safe. So it was a, it was a cap. There's no mm -hmm. price. Um, and they helped us choose the, the price, uh, the valuation cap. And then uh, we went out and we talked to folks and uh, we raised part of the money prior to demo day. And so demo day is the, is the presentation at the end of YC when you're in the program where everybody presents. So we were able to raise part of that round prior to demo day. So like build up the momentum and then we closed the rest of it after demo day. And the whole process was probably like three weeks. Really? Uh -huh. It was, and it was it was oversubscribed very significantly so it, it was uh, we were choosing we got the chance to choose who was going to be in the round and how much of that was you know the work of your mentors versus just hustle on your part or combination well it's definitely the work of the start founder like it you know the the mentors can give you advice and they're like they were definitely great to answer questions all, all times of the day but it's all ultimately up to the founder to, to like make the deals and i you know really it really, um, I think that it really makes, the work really helps a lot more if you're just building your business. Like if you build a better business, it becomes a lot easier to raise money rather than spending more of those cycles to trying to make a better pitch. Like you can't make a good pitch out of something that just isn't like a good business. And so we had really good, like a really good like framing of the what we had done and also a lot of accomplishments in that time period. So then in a very short period of time. And so that, that made it, um, pretty quick for us. Well, talk about that. What were you pitching? I mean, did you have pretty meaningful customers or a, a lot of AI already built out? You know, if, if around goes that fast, sure, it helps being in YC, but um, what was the factor? What made it go that fast? What were you pitching? So the, um, yeah, I mean, a part of it was metrics. So we had a lot of growth. We had, you know, going into YC, it was, in, it was at the idea stage. <clears throat> so we hadn't really started yet uh, when we, in the beginning, so January, um, you know, January one, we had like our first customers and, uh, and then we, we, we um, did a lot of, you know, business development and marketing and, and finding other customers, finding out how to reach them, how to resonate, build it, you know, create a, uh, an offer that resonated with them. So at the end of the, the end of that time period, we had uh, a lot of very significant growth and, and a very large, pretty good number of customers. Um, so it showed that there was a need among the market, among startups, and that people would buy this. And then some of it was, you know, the story of how this could be become big. And I think in legal tech, legal tech, I think is it. Some parts of it are are challenging because of the regulatory framework, and also mm -hmm. because lawyers are some like lawyers are. It's harder to find lawyers that are early adopters. I think. Um, or people of legal services who are early adopters. But the benefit is that there's also no incumbents since it's also a really large space. So, you know, legal services is a $400 billion industry in the United States, and there's no tech-enabled law firm that's an incumbent. So it's just sitting there for a firm to, you know, a technology-enabled law firm to take. 
the existing law firms are highly, like the market is highly fragmented. Mm. Like the number one law firm has like two and a half percent of that market. So you're not, there's no Google that's like going to crush you. So it, you know, it's easy to see that like there's a huge opportunity if you have the right technology and you build a company that um, you could build like a, you could build an Amazon or Google of, of law that doesn't exist yet. So that story plus the story of the founders, like, a lawyer myself and my co-founder who was a professor of computer science, uh, you know, they were the right team for it, people who really believe in the mission and have the experience. So that those factors, I think, uh, made it a strong pitch. Okay. Interesting. How did you end up choosing, you mentioned it was oversubscribed. So how'd you pick Kosla and Mayfield and others? You know, what was the process there? We were looking for folks who would be well, like really adding value and were passionate about what we were doing in the mission. So, um, you know, investors who really were really interested in, in legal and AI and really believed in what we're doing and aligned and also could add a lot of value beyond just the money. So being involved in helping us with the strategy as well as um, the right like uh, entries into the network of other uh, like people who could help us. Yeah. Did you ever think about raising money from large law firms, you know, which some of them have venture arms or at least invest off the balance sheet? Is that ever, or is that too, uh, too restrictive to take money from Wilson's venture arm or, or something? So, uh, yeah, I think if the opportunity had presented itself, we would have considered that very, uh, I think, uh, quite significantly, but, uh, like we were also like looking to close the round pretty quickly. So we actually, First, we just looked at the investors who had reached out to us and we chose from those. And then like, there weren't really any like law firms in there. So we didn't end up choosing any, but if there were any, I think we would have been glad to talk to them. Hmm. Okay. Well, good. Any other just interesting tales from the fundraising trail or things you would do differently if you repeated this process again? I think, uh, I think the way we did it, I was pretty happy with, you know, my co-founder and I did all the meetings together and, uh, you know, we, we were able to build off each other and, and show that we were really aligned and also give feedback to each other on how to like get better. Cause like, you know, this is also what's interesting is this is the first time we've ever tried to raise money mm -hmm. and, um, you know, going in the first ones, you know, it's just a learning process. And so if you go to the first ones, they're not going to be as polished as your later ones. So, um, just, just doing a lot of the meetings and, um, getting the practice and, and become comfortable with it. And then once you have your first couple of checks, it becomes, you can build up some confidence and it becomes easier because the investors see that others already believe in it. Um, so I think I was, yeah, I was definitely very happy with the way uh, we had done given that this was the first time we had ever raised capital. What was the hardest part about raising this round? It's uh, it's a time consuming process. You know, when you're, when you're raising, you're, you're, you're like not spending as much time on the building the business. And, uh, and so that distraction can, can be hard to deal with. And so, you know, just trying to get, get the funding in, not try to over optimize, but just get it closed and get back to building, building the business. I think that, you know, that was, uh, that's some advice I would have. Cool. All right. well, any other advice or tips for people con either contemplating fundraising or applying to YC or Anything else we haven't covered? Well, I think, you know, I think it's, uh, there, this is a great time to build a startup. I think it's really exciting. 
I know there are a lot of really great ideas out there that I'm really surprised by all the time. I think, um, I think looking back, I guess I would say that it, what really helped us a lot also was trying to think of it differently. And, you know, our business is quite different than other, like, you know, a lot, most startups are, are so, like regular software plays like a SaaS business, which are very good businesses. But I think, you know, looking at things from a different perspective, coming up with unique ideas, that's, that's really fun. And I, I think um, that this, it's like a great time to go to a startup because investors are um, looking for unique ideas um, that will, will be a bit different and, and exciting for them. Do you get much pushback in that you're selling to startups? A lot of investors don't like startups as a target customer market. Well, there are there are a lot of good things about selling to startups. One being that it's a it's a very it's very fast sales cycle. There are there's um, and a lot of large companies have started with selling to startups. So Brex and Stripe uh, were both really successful with startups. I think uh, like Carta, I think also. Uh, so it's, there's a lot of really early adopters and their startups are willing to evaluate, evaluate you based on the objective quality of your work, as opposed to, you know, like, like the, the existing brand or you've been around for 10 years. Um, you know, I guess the objections investors might have are that, uh, startups, some of them will go out of business. So your retention rate, you'll have churn, not because your business is bad, but just because your customers will go out of business. Mm -hmm. Um, the, you know, Startups probably have less of a budget than larger companies, but but on the balance, I've really loved working with startups, and it's also exciting for our employees. Also, like people in the startup space love working with other startups. It's more fun, uh, particularly for IP, to work with startups. And I think you know, I and other employees here have a lot of passion for working on those more than than um, you know some other things. Maybe you are not able to answer this question, but what's the coolest thing that's been patented? through your system, anything that just is like mind blowing, super exciting? Well, yeah, we can, I, I would say that we do a lot of AI now. I think that's really interesting. And a lot of, uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, I, I don't, I would hard, it'd be hard for me to pick one because I think there are a lot of things we've been working on are very cool. We've had a lot of really cool AI technologies come through, some really interesting life sciences stuff, um, some hardware stuff um, like consumer products, aerospace. We see a lot of really interesting things. Hmm. Cool. All right. If people want to learn more, it is cognitionip.com, correct? Yeah. Cognitionip.com. And any call to action or anything you want to promote or plug? Well, uh, so startups out there. So we work, we focus on working with startups on their IP. So anybody looking to have an, uh, a new solution for intellectual property, um, that is faster and better than, uh, We'd love to chat. So on our website, there's a form that you could use to get in touch with us. So we're happy to chat. All right, Bryant with Cognition IP. Thanks so much. Cool stuff. We'll check it out and uh, good luck building the next generation law firm and we'll catch you after your next round. No, thanks so much for having me. Thanks.